Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus again this morning. Good to see all of you. And I enjoyed uh, things that have been shared so far here today. Thank you for each one of you who contributed to the service. Seems a bit empty over here on the sister's side. Maybe I ought to move my pulpit about halfway up there. (laughs) Seems like I'm far away. So this morning, for the message, I've titled the message, Assurance of Salvation. Now, I don't know what your mind goes to when uh, I say assurance of salvation, but it probably isn't quite the kind of message that you might first think of. But I think when we're done, you'll appreciate the thought and the the way I've postured the, the thought. Um, I'm not um, not going to go through the scriptures and and uh, prove that you can have assurance of salvation, which uh, would be perhaps a way to approach it. could be, um, especially when you think of the uh, perspective. There's, of course, let let me clarify a little bit. There's, of course, the there's a concept out there that once you're saved, you're always saved, and you'll you'll never be lost again. And we uh, do not believe that that concept is solidly biblical. And there is also the concept out there in the Christian realm that um, you can't know that you're saved, you only hope. And we don't believe that concept to be solidly biblical either. So, am I going to be solidly biblical in my concept this morning? (laughs) I trust I will. Uh, At least uh, the portion that we look at. Uh, We're not going to exhaust the subject. But... um, So to begin, I'm going to uh, just read a couple of verses, and there's a theme in these verses that I think you will um, pick out pretty quickly. John 14, 27, Jesus says these words, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 15, verse 13. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. Colossians 1, 19 and 20. For it pleased the Father that in Him should all, and this is uh, talking about Jesus, when it says in Him, for it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell. And having made peace, through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. One more scripture before I have you turn to a scripture. John sixteen thirty three. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now, turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, toward the end of the chapter. And we're still thinking, um, still looking at verses that have a particular theme, an idea going to start in verse 36 of chapter 13. Simon Peter said unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus had just uh, got done telling them, whither I go, you cannot come. And so Simon says unto him, Lord, whither goest thou? Jesus answered him, whither I go, thou canst not follow me now, but thou shalt follow me afterwards. Peter said unto him, Lord, why cannot I follow thee now? I will lay down my life for thy sake. Jesus answered him, Wilt thou lay down my life for for my sake? Verily, verily, I say unto you, or unto thee, The cock shall not crow till thou hast denied me thrice. Now there's a chapter break, but there probably shouldn't be. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also." Notice the um, the context in which Jesus says those very familiar words, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Verses that we quote frequently, find lots of comfort from, maybe don't as often think about the context in which Jesus gave them. He spoke, he was speaking, I believe, specifically, actually, not just to, but he was actually speaking to Peter 
in light of the fact that he had just told Peter, you're going to deny me three times. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, Going on to a different scripture, uh, Philippians 4, verse 6 and 7, says this, Be careful for nothing, or many translations use the word anxious, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then one more verse in Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. What is a common theme in all those verses that we looked at? Anyone? Confidence in God. What's the word that showed up in almost every one of them? Peace. Yes, peace. The... um, Subject of peace is present in all the verses in John in John 13 there. It's indirectly referred to when it says, let not your heart be troubled. Uh, it's not uh, the actual word, I don't believe, is used in that uh, scripture there, but it's indirectly uh, referred to or addressed. Do these verses that we read, speaking of peace, speaking of peace from various uh, aspects, even from the point of uh, calling us, basically calling us to a place of peace in our hearts, almost commanding us to have peace in our hearts, uh, presenting peace as not an, an, uh, a possible option, but presenting it as a as a uh, reality that should be embraced should be very much a part of our lives um, these verses communicate to us god's intent that we live with peace in our hearts Just uh, just think about uh, uh, the verse there in Philippians. Be anxious for nothing. Which is uh, indirectly telling us that we should have peace in our hearts in all situations. I say that a little bit uh, without clarifying it. But anyhow, in everything... By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. That's part of the process of being able to remain in a place of peace. And then, verse 7, And the peace of God, which passeth 
all understanding shall keep. And that word keep uh, gives the idea of a watch guard, uh, standing guard, the the uh, the peace which passes all understanding shall stand guard of your heart. It will stand and guard your heart. So, if you choose and recognize that you're being te- uh, you're being anxious about something, and you choose to roll that over on God in in prayer, as it says here, then the peace of God is intended to stand guard and watch over your heart. And the verse in Colossians has a similar idea. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. A different word, but gives us, conveys a similar uh, message. Let it rule. Let it, let it be, uh, uh, the umpire is what was one of the definitions. The umpire, in other, other words, let the peace of God, might you say, call the shots or call the, um, yeah, call the shots, I guess is, uh, so the peace of God, it's, it's presented not as, uh, as, it's not presented as an option to be living with peace in our hearts. It's presented as something that God intends for us. And we want to unpack that just a little bit further. Um, and we're instructed on the opposite side, like there in John 14, let not your heart be troubled. Do not be anxious, um, Philippians there. Uh, John fourteen twenty seven. peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So, while we are instructed, we're instructed on both sides. We're instructed to not be anxious, to not be afraid, to not be troubled. And we are instructed to be at a place of peace and rest in our hearts. How can that be? How can we uh, live in that reality? Well, let's, uh, let's just unpack uh, the idea a little bit of how we can have peace in the first place. Let's go to Genesis uh, chapter 3, I believe it is. So if we're uh, students of the Bible, we're familiar with this. In Genesis chapter 3, where uh, Adam and Eve... Or Eve uh, took the fruit and then offered it to Adam, and Adam took as well. Maybe I'll just read some of these verses. It says now in chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. The woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, 
and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the fruit, that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. Something changed right here, right now. (laughs) Right when they ate that fruit, something changed. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool, in the garden, in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldst not eat? And I'm going to stop there. Uh, So notice here um, some of the things that happened. First off, uh, uh, one of the things that uh, we notice here is that when God came to... uh, Walking in the cool of the day, as the scripture tells us, they hid themselves because they were afraid, it says. Now, uh, in previous uh, times when God came walking in the cool of the day, did they hide? They, they didn't. Uh, they, they had fellowship with God. Their, their relationship with God was was clear and wide open previously before they took of this fruit. The relationship with God was wide open. They were at peace. There was nothing to be afraid about. There was nothing to be ashamed of. It was, everything was just right. But now, something's wrong. Something is broken. Where there once was peace, where there once was, uh, yeah, peace in their hearts and, and a wide open free relationship, they're afraid suddenly and they go and hide. And things are not right. Things, there's a problem. There's a serious problem. And they're aware of the problem. They're aware of uh, that there's a problem. And they're aware that they can't, there's no turning back. It's too late. They've, they've taken a step and they can't step backwards and undo it anymore. And there's a problem. Their relationship with God is severed. And they're afraid. And they hide. And they uh, no longer want to be in the presence of God. It 
if we continue reading there in verse 12, it says, And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. He tricked me. And that is true. The serpent did trick her into thinking that she was missing something good, something to be desired. And he tricked her into per, uh, pursuing that something good. That uh, So she says, And I did eat, and the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go. Dust shalt thou eat all, all the days of thy life. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That uh, that statement there, it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel is the first prophecy given that, that uh, God would would uh, in, in some point in, in the future God would deal with this problem that uh, had developed. It shall bruise thy head. Uh, so, the uh, Adam and Eve at this state were experiencing anything but peace. They were experiencing fear. They were troubled. They tried to make clothes to cover themselves. They ran and hid it behind the bushes when God came. Uh, they were experiencing anything but peace. They were troubled and they were afraid exactly what Jesus said we should not do. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Why is that possible? Let's turn to uh, Colossians. We already read some of these verses, but we'll look at them a little more closely. Colossians 1, verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in Jesus, should all fullness dwell... And having made peace through the blood of his cross. By him, by Jesus, by the cross that Jesus died on. To reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Now this, this is one, uh, one or two small verses here that encapsulate what Jesus did in coming to earth as a man, God made flesh, dwelt among us, um, lived where we lived, faced life on the level that we faced it. And as uh, we are familiar with in the scriptures that at at uh, around 30 years of age, began a ministry that lasted about three years until 
He was crucified, hung on a cross, just like this verse here says, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. Um, Jesus coming to li- coming uh, and giving his life on the cross and being raised up again uh, did all of that to bring us back into that relationship of peace with God. That relationship where uh, the relationship is restored. Um, first off, the... Um, uh, Our sins are forgiven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Uh, in verse uh, 12 or verse 13, it says, uh, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood even the forgiveness of sins. So, um, we as human beings, we were uh, separated from God. We have God up here. And uh, we have us human beings down here. And we are separated from God by this uh, barrier of sin and... uh, uh, darkness, and as it says here, we are, uh, because of uh, having, uh, at, you know, when Adam and Eve chose to sin, they uh, they disobeyed God, their eyes were opened to understand good and evil, they had uh, severed their uh, working relationship with God, their Father, their Creator, and uh, that that uh, that separation uh, was a natural part of all their offspring and has been a natural part of, of the human experience ever since. And uh, um, we have to, uh, there had to uh, be a solution to that and Jesus uh, was the one who came. And uh, uh, as it says here, he delivered us in in Colossians, there he who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. So we we lived in uh, as uh, uh, separated from God. We lived in uh, under the power of of Satan and sin and the flesh and the world in darkness. And uh, Jesus delivered us from that and translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He shed his blood on on the cross so that we might have forgiveness of sins, as it says here, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. And remember, it was sin that separated us from God. And Jesus shed his blood so that we could have those sins forgiven and uh, have that relationship with God restored again be able to live in the presence of God with peace, not be afraid, not have to run and hide, but have peace in our hearts. That was that was the intent. That is why Jesus came 
to uh, to restore that relationship and bring us back into a place of peace with God through the blood of His cross and uh, and solving solving the problem the problem that was created when Adam and Eve chose to disobey God and of course the problem that we each create in our own lives as we uh, navigate life when and as we navigate life without God uh, and so Jesus the reason we can have peace with God and the reason uh, in fact that God uh, we are called to uh, that place of peace with God is because that is what Jesus came to do to bring us back into that place where we could have peace with God we would no longer have uh, to be troubled or afraid of God, but we can have peace and have uh, that relationship uh, restored again and a relationship whose premise is peace. You know, God wants that for for each of us probably... I think it's safe to actually say he wants that for us more than we actually wanted ourselves. Jesus came to to uh, to to put, to conquer. No, he came to uh, acquire that for us: peace, peace with God. Absence of trouble, absence of a troubled heart, absence of fear, rather peace. That's what Jesus came for. And uh, like he says in John 10.10, these are the words of Jesus. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. So... Uh, what is assurance of salvation? Assurance of salvation is a relationship with God that is free from anxieties, troubles, and fears. Free from anxieties, free from troubles, from the sense of being troubled, let not your heart be troubled, and free of fear. That's assurance of salvation. To have that kind of a relationship restored again with God. That we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear living and we don't have to fear dying. Because we know it's well with our souls. We know that uh, the relationship with God is is restored. It's uh, It's clear. It's wide open. And there's nothing... That is uh, uh, separating us from God. There's an illustration, and I'm going to share it again. I, I'm confident most of you have heard this one from me before, but I think it's fitting. Just to clarify or to, uh, to s- s- drive home the point of what Jesus has done and is doing for us in coming and giving his life. Um, 
there's this uh, story that I had read some some years ago of a of a of a son who uh, took a tractor that his father had purchased new as a young farmer, and that tractor had long since been abandoned in sitting out in the far end of the farm. Uh, in the trees and in the brush and the and it was in a terrible state of disrepair and by now the 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 gentleman who had purchased it was like in his 80s or some years old and was an old man and the son got the uh, vision to restore that tractor and he went out and recovered it off the fence row, off out uh, from the bushes and the shrubs and the trees and whatever was growing up through the frameworks, and took it to the shop, and totally uh, cleaned it up piece by piece, took it apart, dismantled it, repaired everything, put everything back together, uh, in the uh, repainted everything, and in the in the end, had it restored to its original condition and beauty. And then he took that tractor and presented it to his father, his aged father who had purchased it new many, many years before. And uh, the joy that he had in, in presenting that to his father and the joy that his father had in seeing that machine restored. And that's just an earthly thing. But that is a perfect picture of what Jesus is, has done and is doing for each of you who believe in him, who cast your uh, uh, faith upon him. He is taking your life and my life, taking it out of the fence row, out of the brush, out of the rubble, out of the mess that we've made of it, and First off, forgives us for our sins by the blood of his cross, forgives us for those sins that we've committed, begins the work of restoration and keeps working on us and keeps working on us. And where is that scripture? Uh, I don't think I have it written down here, but it talks about presenting us faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That is actually what Jesus is doing in each of our lives. And that is what he came to do when he came to give his life at Calvary. To, uh, to begin that restoration process in our lives and, and uh, make us a trophy of his grace that he will at some point call us home and present us to the Father with exceeding joy. And uh, what a blessing. So, what is assurance of salvation? Assurance of salvation, again, a relationship with God that is free of anxieties, free of fear, and free of a troubled uh, disposition. That is, in fact, uh, that is God's heart for each of us. That is what Jesus came to purchase for us. And he does want us to live in that reality. He wants us to live with peace in our hearts. What about, let's just move on. What about that occasional sin that I commit? 
So we're talking about peace in our hearts. What if I, what if I sin? What if I do something that I know is, is not uh, according to God's will? Turn to 1 John. Chapter 1, and we'll begin in verse 5. We'll just uh, examine a number of verses here. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I think we heard just a little bit about light this morning already. So God is light. And in, in him is no darkness at all. And I think we understand the general term of light and darkness. It, it's speaking of, of the things that are, uh, when we talk about light, we're talking about the things that are right, the things that are pure, lovely, beautiful, uh, a life that is, anything about life that is, is, uh, is right. When we're talking about darkness, we're talking about everything about life that is wrong, that is selfish, that is uh, impure, that is, is yeah, just, I think we, we understand those concepts, light versus darkness. God is light. There is absolutely no darkness in him at all, John saying here. And then he says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, we say that we have uh, our relationship with God is restored through Jesus Christ. We have peace with him. We are living in fellowship with him. We say that. But, he says, and walk in darkness. So if we say that we are at peace with God and have fellowship with him, but we are walking in darkness. He says, we are lying. We are not understanding something about the gospel. It's the long and short of it. And uh, that's where uh, the concept of eternal security gets disbanded very quickly. You know, people refer back to some experience 15 years ago. Today, they might be living in total defeat in a dozen areas in their lives. Even, you know, uh, it can be drinking, it can be uh, adultery, it can be, it can be a whole host of things, but they'll point back to some kind of experience, you know, somewhere back there in life and claim that they're saved. But this scripture uh, gives no credibility to that kind of a concept. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, practice living in sin, we're lying. We are not understanding the truth. And, uh, and we're not practicing the truth. We're not doing the truth. He says uh, we lie and do not the truth, do not practice the truth. However, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. 
Now, you get the, um, the interesting dynamics that are going on in this verse. So we are walking in the light. So why is there a need to be talking about sin? Because we're walking in the light, aren't we? We're walking in the light as he is in the light. And you all shall live happily ever after. Notice the interesting dynamics. He's, he's, he's facing life right where life is. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. First off, uh, I'd like us to think about the fact that the, the context of this scripture is, is speaking to each of us personally on the, in the context of living in the community of God's people. It's not necessarily just speaking to us individually as an individual all by ourselves. It's speaking to us as individual people in living in the context of the community of God's people. So if we walk in the light, if you and I walk in the light as he is in the light, we are pursuing the light. We are, our life is, um, uh, our purpose is to walk in obedience to Christ and have him Lord of our lives and to do his will while we are on this earth. And we walk in the light. We pursue the things of truth, the things of light, the things that are right, the things that are pure, holy, lovely. Uh, we pursue those things. Our hearts are after those things. And we are doing it in the context of other Christian believers as well. We are, do, we are in this journey together. He says, as if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and in that context of living life, the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. So what about that occasional sin? If we are walking in the light, we are pursuing the light, we are pursuing to grow in grace and to walk with God and to obey Christ and, and all those kind of things, and that is our heartbeat and that is our life, in that context, God didn't say there won't be any sin. He said he would cleanse us from sin. And I, I, I want to be careful how I say these things, but I want to be truthful according as the scripture says it. It's assuming somewhat that there's going to be some sins happening. Now, I want us to understand that, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I think, and I think we all would, would think through, uh, would have already processed this way. There are things that the scripture says, let, it, it mentions a number of sins, I believe it's in Colossians, where it says, let these not, let them not once be named among you. You know, there's there's this thing of of sins. You know, we don't generally put sins in different categories, and yet we do. You know, it's it's one thing if I uh, 
get cross and and uh, say a sharp word to you or someone else. That's a sin. But it's a little bit, it's quite different than if I go out and commit adultery. That's quite different. I think we understand that. And uh, I, you know, when, when, when I'm talking about these things, I'm, I'm talking about, I'm not talking about these these serious sins that really affect a lot of people and, and, and really need specific, need to be addressed specifically. And there's, attention needs to be given and things need to be taken care of. And, you know, in other words, those, we're not trying to diminish those serious issues when we look at this scripture. But in the context of living in a place of peace in your heart, God intends for you to live at peace in your heart. And as you, as you live in the context of walking in the light, and you, you think that thought that you realize later that was not a loving thought, that was not a pure thought, that was not, that was actually a thought of, of that is, you know, sinful. And you entertain that thought, and you know you realize later you shouldn't have. And in the context of walking in the light, God already has a provision there for your forgiveness and cleansing of that sin. Because He wants you to be able to continue in peace, to live in the reality of peace. And so as you walk in the light. And those, uh, in the con- and in the context of of uh, uh, Christian believers uh, walking together, and things happen in life, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sins that we might commit. And again, having clarified that, verse eight: If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Um, again, just, um, yeah, it just meets us right where life is. If we say that we are above sinning again, we're not understanding God and not understanding ourselves. If, and that's basically what this verse is saying. If we say that we have no sin, if we say I'm above sinning, there's, we're not understanding everything about God. And everything about us, ourselves. But then he goes to verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse. Forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not just, uh, again, it's not just a forgiving, which is again a, 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 a serious error that, some embrace they every night at the end or yeah at the end of every day they'll go through and confess the sins of their day with full expectations to commit them again tomorrow but believing that because they confess them they're forgiven but the scripture teaches us that we are forgiven and we are cleansed we are in other words that uh that sin that you 
committed shouldn't be repeated every day, every day, every day, every day, because now you are actually walking in it. And if it's an area of darkness in your life, you are actually walking in darkness. You're not walking in light. So, uh, so we have the provision, and it's 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 uh, is clearly understood or clearly communicated here that there is the expectation. I don't almost don't like to say it that way, but there is a realization. Maybe that's better. There's a realization that as human beings we are probably going, we're going to sin at times. We're going to think thoughts. We're going to say things. We're going to do things towards someone else that was not kind, was not loving, was not turning the other cheek, was not uh, doing like we would have had them do to us and those kind of things. And uh, we will need uh, forgiveness for those things. And that provision is here in Jesus if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And my little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So there we have... Uh, these things write unto you that ye sin not, and that is obviously the goal as a Christian, to not sin. And that's the purpose of the scripture, to teach us how to live and to walk with God, so that we do not sin. And that's John's intent. But, he says, if any man sin, if we have an advocate, we have Jesus, who is there for us, whose blood is on the mercy seat, and by whom we can have forgiveness. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. His blood is sufficient for every human being who ever lived and ever will live. He died for everyone. And for those who do not uh, make Him their own, make Christ their Lord, find forgiveness for their sins, will go to eternity carrying sins that have already been paid for, but they didn't accept the payment given. Therefore, They'll take them with them and not benefit from the payment. How sad. So, what about my occasional sins? God already planned for that. God already has the provision there for that. That does not give us a license for careless living. Because that provision is there as we walk in the light. And as we yield ourselves to Christ. Why? Why is that provision there? Because He wants us to live in a relationship of peace with God. 
All right, I'd like to move on. One other point I'd like to give some time and attention to, and that is uh, peace, or, or let me say this first, assurance through difficult times, or peace in the pain. Assurance through difficult times, or peace in the pain. You know, life is not always a peaceful, pleasant experience, is it? I'm sure that all of us have at some point in the journey wrestled greatly to bring our hearts to a place of rest and peace because of something we were facing that was really disturbing us, just to put it frankly. In First Peter 1, 6 and 7, Peter says this, Wherein ye greatly rejoice... Though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. So, they were rejoicing in their faith in Christ and their peace with God, but Peter recognized they were in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith may be more precious than of, than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So Peter sums it up rather quickly there, and we will try to unpack that a little further. But he talks about uh, uh, our faith being tested, being tried, uh, as though tried with fire, that it might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So he talks about uh, they were going through difficult times. Let's uh, let's go to John 15. We um, briefly looked at there. Yeah, Ben had us in John there quite a bit. John 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch in me that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And we'll just stop there for the moment. If we were to go to Hebrews, uh, keep, a, keep a finger there at First uh, John. If we were to go to Hebrews 12, or not First John, actually, John 15 there. Keep a finger at John 15. In, in uh, Hebrews 12. We have the scriptures that speak of, uh, of chastening. Hebrews 12 verse, um, I guess we'll break in the context a little bit here. And uh, verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Um, so we have, we have this verse here in John 15. He says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes it away. But every branch that bears fruit, 
he purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. We have this scripture that we just read here in Hebrews. That whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourgeth every son whom he receives. You know, I think none of us really enjoy difficult experiences in life. None of us enjoy chastening or pruning. But it is actually, how does, yeah, let me ask you this question. How does assurance fit into this subject? How does assurance of your salvation fit into this subject of, of uh, pruning, painfulness, difficulty? I brought an object, and I've used this one here before. Um, it's the time of the year, I guess you would say. <clears throat> Just try and illustrate a little bit this uh, truth that Jesus has here. You know, he says, Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he takes it away. Okay? Takes it away. But every branch that bears fruit, he purgeth it or he prunes it. For what purpose? For what purpose does he prune it? The scripture says here that it may bring forth more fruit. He has a very specific intent. Now I have two plants here. They are young plants, but they are, uh, they are actually growing very well. Uh, you can see they're actually, they're kind of tall and slender and kind of floppy. Um, there's, there's a ton of potential, uh, that there's a lot there. I mean, everything is almost, almost everything is perfectly right with these two plants. They are, the color is right. They are just growing very, very well, very, very fast. Um, the roots look good. It, yeah, these are healthy plants. I'm not going to throw these away. They're healthy. However, as healthy as they are and as good as they look, I know that if I let them go just like this, just keep watering them, I know that the end product is not going to be what I want. I'm the husbandman in this case. <laughs> it's not going to be what I want. So these plants kind of fall into this category that Jesus is describing here. Every branch in me that beareth fruit, purges it. He prunes it. Why does he prune it? Because he wants it to bring forth more fruit. And so we're going to prune these plants today. We just simply cut the heart right out of that one and that one. Now they're shorter. 
And they just lost their... The very heart of the plant was at the top and I just done took it away. Now they won't die. They might feel like it for a little while. But they won't die. They're actually going to... What's going to happen now, at every one of these leaves, you, you can already see it, there's a little branch starting to develop in there on each one of these leaves. I see, I see uh, probably almost a, probably 10 or more little branches developing, maybe even 12. And all of those branches are going to develop. And I, I should bring these in about two or three weeks. And you would see a plant that is much, much, much more branched out rather than one slender stem. And so, pruning. Uh, that's, you know, when we think about pruning, when Jesus prunes our lives, you know, it's easy to think about Him pruning out, uh, like we said sometimes, dead wood. You know, something in our lives that is not very productive. And so He takes it away, and and we're kind of okay with that. But what if Jesus comes and cuts out? You know, maybe maybe we have a vision for some kind of a work in a ministry, and it's it seems like it's starting to develop, and the doors are starting to open, and we, we feel like we're standing right on the threshold of going forward with a, a, a calling or a purpose that we dreamed about, and prayed about and and we're excited about it and just like that slam and the door goes shut and everything falls apart and we we can't go any further with what we were dreaming to do it's like the lord just goes in there and cuts it right off And he prunes us. Why does he do that? Because he sees potential for more fruit. And that's where assurance comes into this subject. Every branch that bears fruit, he purges it. So if you feel like you're being purged, being pruned, How does Hebrews say it? Whom he loves, he chastens. If you feel like you're being chastened. You know, that that can be a point of assurance. God is seeing enough of potential in you to put some attention to you. Some attention to your life. He's... He's seeing potential for fruit. He's seeing potential for more fruit. In fact, he saw so much potential that he decided, if I just do this thing just right, this is going to this is going to develop. In the middle of it, it is hard to understand those things. And some people lose their way when those things happen. When <clears throat> but God does and this is not a 
I'm going to share a little bit of a, an illustration, a real-life illustration again. I'm going to share it from the perspective of, I'm going to say, the ones who God used to hold the scissors. It's a, an illustration that you're all familiar with, but I'm going to come from a, just a little bit of a different angle. Or most of you are familiar with it, anyhow. You all know that uh, our oldest daughter, Kim, Kimberly, was in Tanzania as a young uh, adult at 20-some years old, upper 20s, as a single girl working in a um, clinic, a medical clinic in the remote areas of Tanzania. In her heart was a passion while she was serving the community and doctor, bandaging wounds and and uh, and ministering to the injured and all those kind of things in that clinic, the sick, in her heart was burning a passion and a desire to minister to orphans. And so she's there in that context, and 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 one day, here comes this dying, malnourished little orphan baby is placed in her care. The mother had passed away. The father didn't have the means to care for it and wanted someone to care for his child. And to her, this was the, this, this was the, the door opening to the dream of her life, to be able to care for orphans. But she's a single young lady. And we as a mission committee, myself as her father and being part of the mission committee, had to evaluate the situation and decide what do we do? Do we support her in this vision and allow her to keep this little orphan baby and begin to care for it as her own? And we weighed in on that and we we came to the decision that that uh, while we respected and valued the vision the timing just didn't seem right to us for one thing we really felt like there needed to be a in order for an uh, uh a ministry of ministering to orphans, there really needs to be a father figure as a part of the picture. And we had the uh, the uh, the tough calling to take the scissors. And it wasn't us. It really was God. But we were the people. We were the voice pieces. And we had to trim it off. We had to say, no, this is not the time for this vision. We respect it, we understand it, but this is not the time. It was God. God had put it on our hearts. We had to deliver the message, but it was God working behind the scenes. It was tough. My daddy heart, with all its heart, wanted to say yes. I'll be frank. 
But I knew what was right. I knew what was the right decision. Of course, I think many of you know the rest of the story. She gave up that child, put it in the arms of a younger lady than herself, I believe. Or at least to care for that little one. And uh, she wrestled with the, with the pruning of God in her life. She wrestled intensely, the most intense battle she ever, probably ever faced in her life. She's faced many, still does at times, as she lives on the front line, but, um, but came through, came through. And the pruning of God worked more fruit, more fruit. Um, and the last chapter is not written yet, but today... You all know, most of you know, that that very baby she gave up is now in her care and has been for a number of years, plus eight or ten others, eight eight others maybe. And so now she's there in Tanzania, has a husband, has a f- uh, eight, seven, eight, nine, ten, I, I forget, I lose track, <laughs> children in her care. Uh, various stories of... of uh, Orphaned, uh, orphaned lives, missing parents, missing. Uh, so, peace in the pain, assurance through difficult times. A pruning is never easy. It's when you are when you when God is working in your life in in those kind of levels it is not easy it is not easy at all but afterward as hebrews says afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those that are exercised thereby um yeah it's hebrews 11 hebrews 12 verse 11 no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You know, there is, there is, a, there's, there's a response that is needed from us in order to make that pruning effective. You know, just because God prunes doesn't always mean that it's going to work out well because there is a response required from us to those who are exercised thereby to those who respond in in uh, humility and in dependence upon God and surrender and acceptance and uh, You know, there would have been, there would have been other ways for, uh, for our daughter to respond. And uh, I'm thankful that she was able to come through that. So peace in the pain, assurance through difficult times. James says it this way, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, 
And I believe that is talking about not a temptation to sin, but more of an idea of a trial, a difficulty. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to them that love him. So, I want to encourage you that if you find yourself in a place where it seems like you've been pruned, you've been, the scissors has been put to you, Remember, God saw enough of potential in you that he figured he, he, he was willing to invest some, some time into you, willing to invest some effort into you, willing to invest some because he saw potential. And that should, that, that should be a means of assurance. Just like Hebrew writer says um, about... Uh, If we're uh, whom he loveth, he chasteneth. That's what I'm looking for. So if you feel like you're chastened, you can be assured that you're loved. All right. I do need to wrap this up. This is going a little bit longer than I realized it would. Let's go to First John chapter 5 to finish and conclude the message. First John 5. Verse 10 to 13. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So just wrapping it up with those verses, um, we again see the intent of the Apostle John. Uh, He that has the Son, he that has uh, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and has uh, cast his or, or uh, cast his lot, uh, uh, put his faith in Christ and in his in in the shed blood of Christ at Calvary. Uh, he that has a son has life. Uh, in in that life is really what it's describing is is peace, is forgiveness, it's life, it's it's. Uh, it's a new opportunity. He that hath the Son has life. He that has not the Son of God hath not life. And these things are written that uh, to us that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. They're written so that you might have be at peace in your heart that it's well with your soul and that through Jesus Christ it can be well with your soul. That is the intent. So, I'd like to just wrap it up with that. May God uh, bless each of you, and uh, may you experience that peace. If you don't experience it, I encourage you to um, pursue it, do whatever you have to do to find it, and uh, 
enjoy its, uh, its reality that is intended for each of us. If you're able, uh, kneel with me and uh, we will have a brief prayer. Our Father and our God, we come in the name of the Lord Jesus again uh, here at the close of this ser- uh, time of worship together, this service, and uh, we just honor you and bless you and thank you again for sending Jesus, for providing a way of salvation, for giving us the opportunity and the pathway to a place of peace in our hearts with you, peace in our relationship with you, the living God. Thank you, Lord. Pray a blessing on each one here, those of us who know the Lord, continue to grant us grace to walk faithfully with him, to uh, be true to our commitment, to be faithful to you, Father, in all things. Father, those who do not know the Lord Jesus personally, would you uh, draw them to yourself, just like you said you would? You would, when you are lifted up, you will draw all manner of men unto you, unto yourself. We ask for that for anyone who is yet uh, halting, yet waiting between uh, the opinion of whether to serve Jesus or not. Uh, We ask, Father, that you would draw them to yourself. Father, thank you. Thank you for all who have assembled today, who've had an interest in in the truth of the gospel. We are so grateful for that. Pray that your kingdom would continue to be extended. Uh, in the earth, and that others, uh, many would yet call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And Father, again, thank you. Thank you for the freedom to worship, freedom the governments give us. Ask your continued blessing and guidance in those in governments, and that we could uh, continue to enjoy the freedom of worship, and uh, pray that we wouldn't uh, take it for granted and uh, spurn the opportunity, but make full use of it. So again, thank you, Lord. Bless each one. Bless those who are, uh, had a desire to be here but are not able. Be with them. And keep us, Father, in your care as we continue the journey with you. We thank you and pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>